Washburn Show, the show with the host who says what other hosts aren't allowed to say. The Doc Washburn Show streams live at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central weekdays at docwashburn.com and is available for download at Spotify, Apple, or wherever podcasts are available. The Doc Washburn Show is on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com or call us at 866-609-3711. All right, this is episode two of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. Yes, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. Yes, they ignored my request for a religious exemption. Yes, they ignored. Well, they didn't ignore. They, they just denied my request for a religious exemption. Exemption. They ignored uh, my request to keep doing the show from home. Uh, by the way, things they wouldn't let me say on the radio. Yes, it's obvious last November's presidential election was stolen. Everybody knows it. Even Brett Baer knows it. No, my old employer would not allow me to say it on the radio. And yes, there is all kinds of evidence out there that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We are unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. Now, the great investigative reporter Cheryl Atkinson, who has a show that runs on Sunday mornings all over America on television called Full Measure. She reported last night the Labor Department said yesterday the initial text of the emergency temporary standard for the federal vaccine mandates for private companies employing 100 or more workers has been submitted to the Office of Management and Budget as part of the rule process. Now, this is fascinating because up until now, Dementia Joe's vaccine mandate has just been a press release. Thefederalist.com had an article last week that explained that very well. So a lot of us were beginning to wonder if they would ever actually put anything in writing. But now they say they have. Anyway, I linked to Cheryl Atkinson's article, New Federal Vaccine Mandate draft written and submitted on my Facebook page. You might want to take a look at it because it also contains links to other articles she has written like COVID-19 Natural Immunity, the definitive summary. COVID-19 Vaccine, 80 of the most common adverse events. COVID-19 Vaccine Concerns Summary. COVID-19 Vaccine Analysis, common adverse events. COVID-19 origins, separating rumor from fact with a pretty neat video you can watch on that one. And how to report a possible vaccine adverse event. Now, these are all links on the Cheryl Atkinson article, new federal vaccine mandate draft written and submitted that is on my personal Facebook page. Someday I'll figure out how to put stuff on the Doc Washington Show Facebook page. So it really looks like a clearinghouse of information of what's really going on with the Wu flu and how our government and healthcare establishment continue to lie to us. And not just about the Wu flu, not just about the China virus, but about just about everything. You know, one of the things that's really been remarkable to me is watching Biden or any of his cabinet secretaries, or his White House press secretary, Jen Psaki, 
straight face lying about whatever. I'll never forget a few days after Biden took office January 20th, a guy named Cedric Richmond, who had been a U.S. representative from Louisiana for a number of years and was now in the Biden administration, straight face lied into a television camera saying, we didn't inherit any kind of vaccine distribution program from the Trump administration. Really? So Operation Warp Speed did not exist. They straight face lie to the camera about whatever they need to, and they operate as if they know they'll never be held accountable because no matter what laws they break, Biden's very partisan Department of Justice, Biden's very partisan FBI is not ever going to give them any grief. They operate as if they believe that since they stole the election last November, they'll be able to keep stealing them and we'll never have another Republican president. I hope they're wrong. A lot of us were really shocked, by the way, but pleasantly surprised when Donald Trump beat Hillary Clinton. You know, I, uh, I'm just coming off the longest job I've ever had in my life. I was doing the afternoon talk show at the big talk radio station in Little Rock, Arkansas, for seven years and three months. When I got to Little Rock, Arkansas in the summer of 2014, this was about a year before Trump came down the golden escalator and said, hey, I'm running for president. And people would call my show, local people in Central Arkansas would call my radio talk show. And they had a mixture of a sense of dread and a sense of being resigned to what they believed was going to happen. These people who would call my show in the summer of 2014 were resigned to the following scenario. They were sure, pretty sure that former Florida Governor Jeb Bush was going to be the Republican presidential nominee in 2016, but they were completely sure that Hillary was going to crush him. He was going to lay down, kind of like a fighter who takes a dive, except I'm sure in his mind he would think, well, this is what you do, right? You know, not, not that he was trying to lose, but he didn't know how to win. And he would be our next Romney, our next McCain. They're like, Doc, I hate to tell you, brother, I know you're new here in Arkansas, but she's going to win. We've seen the Clintons up close for years, and there's nothing we can do about it. So then Trump came on the team, uh, Trump came on the scene, and that changed everything. People's memories are short. I don't know how many people remember, but back in 2014, a lot of people now, I'm not sure about the whole country, but a lot of people in Arkansas, which is where I moved to from the Florida Panhandle in 2014, had never seen Arkansas before, never even flew, uh, driven through it, 
But a lot of people were resigned to the fate that Hillary was going to finish us off. She was going to finish the job that Obama had done on trying to fundamentally transform the country for the worse. And by the grace of God, we were spared that um, on Election Day 2016. And they knew they couldn't let that happen again. So election night 2020, they, they began to, well, the process of stealing it went, went way back. Do you, do you remember? Do you remember when, uh, when Biden would say during the campaign in the fall of 2020, no, the American people do not deserve to know where I stand on the issues. We'll get that squared away after we win. Remember that? And when he said we have put together the the most comprehensive electoral fraud operation in the history of this country. Do you remember that? Let me, let me, I I hadn't planned on doing this because I want to get to, I want to get to um, Governor Greg Abbott and what he's doing about the vaccine mandates. God bless him. But if I could find this real quick, because a lot of times if you have uh, watched a video, if you have watched a video in YouTube, you should be able to go back and find it Except sometimes if it's controversial, it's politically controversial. They don't want you to be able to go back and find it. And and this is one of those times. This is one of those times. About what Biden said about electoral fraud. Um, let me see if I can just, just do a search for it. Because most of the people, most of the people within the sound of my voice have heard it, but you're always picking up new Listeners and, and and frankly, we looked at we looked at the download numbers for yesterday's show for episode one yesterday, and I was pleasantly surprised. Nineteen hundred people downloaded episode one, and some of them, some of them were <laughs> even from other countries, and so that was amazing. Okay, I tell you what, I tell you what, I'm doing a little search on YouTube here for Biden most comprehensive electoral fraud, and it won't give it to me. I wonder, I know Google won't, Google owns YouTube. I wonder if I go to DuckDuckGo. See, DuckDuckGo is the search engine that a lot of people are using these days because it doesn't track you, and oh, hello, hello. I think we're going to get it. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. See, Google doesn't want stuff that would uh, reflect negatively on the regime. But DuckDuckGo hasn't been taken over by the elite yet. So this is 14 seconds, 13 seconds, 13 seconds. See what you think here. We have put together, I think, the most extensive and inclusive voter fraud organization in the history of American politics. What does that tell you? 
We've put together the most extensive, and what was the rest of it? Voter fraud organization in American history? We have put together, I think, the most extensive and inclusive voter fraud organization in the history of American politics. They sure did. They sure did. And you know they did. Everybody knows they did. But not supposed to talk about it. I wasn't, you know, when I was doing a, a talk radio, working for Cumulus Media, if you said stolen election, you said stop the steal, you get fired. The word went out on January 6th. You'd be fired. So you had to do the dance. If somebody called up and said, well, I think they stole the election, you could say things like, um, well, we've all seen the videos of them pulling the suitcases of ballots out from under the tables in State Farm Arena in, in Atlanta. You could say things like, well, Constitution says legislature controls the elections, not the governor, secretary of state. And so Pennsylvania did something very unconstitutional. You say all kinds of things. As long as you didn't say the election was stolen, you could tap dance around it. Well, I'm here to tell you. The election was stolen, and Joe Biden just said it right there. Beforehand. Beforehand. Anyway. Let me... uh, let me get back to what I was uh, going to say. Texas Governor Greg Abbott has already signed an executive order outlawing vaccine mandates in his state. And God bless him for that. You know, the last time I looked at the Tenth Amendment to the United States Constitution, it still said the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states, respectively, or to the people. Now, what does that mean? That means that constitutionally, the United States government can only do what the Constitution specifically says it can do. Now, is there anywhere in the United States Constitution where it says the president can force private businesses to tell their employees that if they don't let somebody stick a needle in them with an experimental gene therapy, they're going to be fired. I'm pretty sure the Constitution does not give the President of the United States the authority to order companies to do such a thing. So what's going to happen? Well, I'll tell you what's going to happen. There are going to be lawsuits. And those lawsuits are eventually going to be knocking on the door of the United States Supreme Court, and then we will find out. Then we will find out how good a job Donald Trump did when he nominated people to the United States Supreme Court. Now, let me give you a little context. Let me back up it a little bit here. Um, a lot of people, myself included, 
in the fall of 2016 were kind of hesitant, kind of skeptical that Donald Trump was portraying himself as an actual conservative. Yeah, we didn't know because, you know, he'd said a lot of liberal stuff in the past. Now, a lot of people were not skeptical, were not hesitant because they had never paid attention to politics before, and they're just focusing on what he was saying right now in the fall of 2016. But some of us are going, now, wait a minute, wasn't he a liberal until a few minutes ago? So one of the things he did, and I think it's pretty good advice, he said, look, when there are Supreme Court openings, I'm going to choose somebody from this list from the Federalist Society. And some folks, like me, were still skeptical that he would actually follow through on his promise to do that once he got into office and were pleasantly surprised that he did. But the problem, the problem as we have seen, is that some of these folks on that list from the Federal Society that got to the U.S. Supreme Court weren't really all that conservative anyway, weren't really all that constitutional anyway. Gorsuch has been better, I think, over the long haul than Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett. Recently, there was a group of students who were suing, they were suing the University of Indiana over their vaccine mandate. And Amy Coney Barrett, this wonderful pro-life constitutionalist, turned them down cold, did not even allow their lawsuit to come anywhere near the U.S. Supreme Court. So she's been a great disappointment. And Kavanaugh has been a disappointment in some cases too, and then sometimes they're good. So I'm not trying to get off on a tangent here. What I'm saying is, the lawsuits over the vaccine mandates when they reach the US Supreme Court we'll have an opportunity to see how constitutional some of these uh, justices are and i get it i understand that Technically, there is a difference between the President of the United States or the interloper, you know, the guy in the Oval Office, um, issuing a vaccine mandate, and companies like the company that I worked for issuing their own vaccine mandate before Biden, Dementia Joe, even said anything, right? So... I'm positive that when a vaccine mandate lawsuit reaches the U.S. Supreme Court, that Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito will say that's unconstitutional. I would not be surprised if the wise Latina, Sonia Sotomayor, and Elena Kagan and Stephen Breyer all said, oh, give us a break. This is important. This is a public health crisis. I would not be surprised if John Roberts voted with them. Roberts goes back and forth, you know. Roberts, who was given to us by George W. Bush. 
So I'm pretty sure there would be four votes saying they can vac- mandate a vaccine if they want to. Pretty sure there'll be at least two votes saying, no, that's unconstitutional. The question is, the question is, where do Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett come down? That's a question. But I'll also say this. And I hate to sound like the sports handicapper in that commercial who's hemming and hawing and saying, I'm pretty sure this team's going to win unless that team wins. But I was shocked a few months ago when the U.S. Supreme Court ruled nine to nothing in a case in which Catholic Charities was suing the city of Philadelphia. Catholic Charities said, look, we're not going to place children up for adoption or foster care in like a same-sex household where you got two gay guys or two lesbians. We're not going to do that because that goes against our religion. And city of Philadelphia said, oh, well, then we're not going to allow you to do adoptions and foster care in the city of Philadelphia. So Catholic Charities sued the city of Philadelphia. And I don't know if you heard about this or not, but the United States Supreme Court ruled nine to nothing that the city of Philadelphia was violating the First Amendment religious rights of Catholic Charities. Which is true, they were. But the shock was that even Kagan, even Sotomayor, even Breyer agreed yeah, City of Philadelphia, you can't do that at Catholic Charities. They have the First Amendment right to freedom of religion, and they don't have to place kids with a couple of gay guys or a couple of lesbians if they don't want to. That was a shocker. So, you know, as much as we want to handicap what the Supreme Court is going to do, they can surprise you. And I'll never forget uh, a brilliant, a brilliant writer, a guy named John Fund, who wrote for the Wall Street Journal editorial board for 20 years. He came to Little Rock, Arkansas to speak in the, um, the old courtroom on the second floor of the Arkansas State Capitol. And... My wife and I were invited. I think she was still my fiance at the time. This is when Obama was still president. And something he pointed about, out about the U.S. Supreme Court that just really surprised us. He said, the media doesn't talk about this very much. But there have been plenty of cases in which the United States Supreme Court, during the reign of Barack Obama, has ruled against him and or his administration nine to nothing. And Peggy and I are looking at each other like, wait, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not just the conservatives on the court, but Sonia Sotomayor, Elena Kagan, Stephen Breyer, the liberal leftover from from Clinton, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the liberal leftover from Clinton. They all voted unanimously against the Obama administration on this, that, or the other thing. We're just like, wow, we had no idea because that you don't hear that much about that kind of thing. So is it possible, is it possible 
that a vaccine mandate lawsuit could hit the U.S. Supreme Court. And Clarence Thomas and Alito will be looking at Sotomayor and Kagan and going, you know, I think we're going to agree on this. Yeah, anything's possible. With God, all things are possible. So as much as I look at the situation, I'm like, well, okay, the liberals will probably be over here and, 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 and Thomas Alito will be over here and we just got to wait and see, you know, what Gorsuch and, and, uh, and Kavanaugh, Amy Coney Barrett do. Hey, it's, it's possible that the libs might say, okay, wait, no, 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 you can't do this. You never know. I'll never forget Bush versus Gore. When Al Gore took 36 days to try to steal the 2000 election over a few hanging Chad ballots in, in Florida. And one of the rulings against Gore was seven to two, which tells you that they weren't all conservatives. Stephen Breyer was one of the seven and he's, he's pretty, pretty reliable, hardcore liberal. Okay. So, as a wise man once told me, and I wish I could remember who said it, work like everything depends on you, pray like everything depends on God. Okay? You never know. You never know. They might just all do the right thing. Don't be surprised if they do. Well, we will be surprised, but be a pleasant surprise. Okay, uh, what I want to do, what I want to do, we're going to play a 30-second promo here. Uh, doing a live stream broadcast on the Internet, which becomes a podcast after the live stream is over, is very different than doing a radio talk show because we do a radio talk show. Um, you got a six-minute break at the top of the hour, a five- or six-minute break at the bottom of the hour, and you have you know news top and bottom of the hour, and then you have a three four five minute break at fifteen after and fifteen till, and you know the the knucklehead who's talking, namely me. Hi, how you doing? Gets a chance to uh, clear his throat and drink some water and do, and do whatever. Um, when you do this, it's different. Uh, uh, by the way, by the way, speaking of the news, I was going to tell you what I'm going to do. After I take a little 30-second break here, because we just have a little promo that tells tells you what we are and how to get a hold of us and, and all that kind of stuff. By the way, speaking of the news, I'll never forget. So I was working at the Cumulus Talk radio station in Little Rock, Arkansas, and we had to carry the news at the top of the hour from the company. There was something called Westwood One News. They never said what it was, but that's what it was. Westwood One is a syndication arm. They syndicate talk radio shows. Um, and they also had this, this, this news that we had to carry top and bottom of the hour. And boy, were they libs. Boy, were they libs. It was so frustrating. It, 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 it was kind of like Westwood One News knew that they were running on conservative talk radio stations. So they wanted to balance us out. 
by being as liberal as they could be at the top and bottom of the hour, okay? So, Westwood One News, it got to the point where it was not financially feasible for Cumulus Media to continue paying these people to do the news top by the hour. So it went away a couple of years ago. So naturally, the station I worked for in Little Rock and a lot of other Cumulus Talk radio stations picked up something called Fox News Radio. and like, yeah, finally some fair and balanced, right? Uh, not so much. Not so much. As my friend Todd Starnes, who used to do a nationally syndicated talk radio show on Fox News Radio, told me, no, they're all libs, too. I'm like, wait, what? Yeah, yep, yep, they're all libs. Let me give you a case in point. We'll go to the break in a minute. Let me give you a case in point. So I was listening earlier today to American Family Radio, the part of uh, the country I live in. There, There's a a Christian radio station, uh, the American Family Radio folks. And they have at the top of the hour, and maybe the bottom of the hour, I don't know, but at least at the top of the hour, they have something called American Family News. And they were talking about this case out of Loudoun County, Virginia. We talked about it yesterday in episode one of the new Doc Washburn show. And the story was about a girl in the ninth grade who was raped in the bathroom at school by a transgender, by a guy who had a skirt on. And the fact that the school administration tried to hush, 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 cover it up. And the fact that they called the police when her father got to the school and was raising the roof over what had happened to his daughter because they let a boy in the girls' room, and they're pretending that they got in a fight, not that she had been raped, okay? And then when he went to the school board meeting about it, they had the police arrest him, and the extremely liberal prosecutor in Loudoun County, Virginia, brought him up on charges for trying to get justice for his daughter. And, and... The fact that they um, quietly transferred the 15-year-old boy who says he's a girl to another school, and then apparently he he, uh, allegedly sexually assaulted another girl there. So I'm listening to uh, American Family Radio, their their news thing at the top of the hour this morning on, on the Christian radio station. And they went to Carly Shimkus over at Fox to talk about this story. And I remember thinking, okay, Carly Shimkus, I know that name. I'm pretty sure she's on that Fox Nation thing, right? Which is part of, well, it's, it's the thing Fox News put together for people who want to pay a few extra bucks to, uh, you know, watch some different things. Like if something's on Fox News and you're like, I'm getting bored, you go to Fox Nation and you do that. Uh, they always say in, in, in broadcasting, uh, it's always best to be your own competition. So anyway, 
she's talking about that story, the Scott Smith guy standing up for his daughter against the, uh, the communist, radical, pro-transgender, pro-gay, pro-whatever's bad Loudoun County School Board in Loudoun County, Virginia. And I remember thinking, uh, this story's been out for a while. And Carly Shimkus, who uh, is a reporter for Fox and Friends on TV, and she's on Fox Nation, all this kind of stuff, I'm pretty sure neither she nor anybody else has actually talked about it on Fox News Radio. Right? Because they're a bunch of libs. You know, it's just like... So, I say all that to say this. It's frustrating having to listen to liberal news on what's supposed to be a conservative talk radio station. And, and, and But that's, that's really, anywhere you go in this country, that's what you have to deal with. You know? They're not going to tell you, by the way, Joe Biden today said something really stupid. They're not going to tell you, uh, by the way, when uh, Vice President Kamala Harris was talking to these kids the other day about going into space, turns out the kids weren't just kids from a, a school. They were paid actors who had to audition for the gig. Fox News Radio is not going to tell you that any more than ABC Radio News, any more than Lester Holt doing the, uh, the evening newscast on NBC News. No, 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 no. Todd Starnes is right. They are a bunch of lips. Anyway, what I want to do um, on the other side of this little 30-second break, we'll play a little promo to tell you what this is and how to contact us and how to find us online and stuff. I want to get into a little bit Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen was on the CBS Evening News last night with Nora O'Donnell talking about this whole idea of the feds wanting to see every transaction you make, every transaction, financial transaction you make with a bank or whatever, that's uh, over $600. Which I'm pretty sure is unconstitutional. I'll tell you why. Well, we'll play some audio from that, from uh, from CBS Evening News, Nora O'Donnell doing a little patty cake interview with Secretary of Treasury uh, Janet, weirdest voice I ever heard, yelling. So that is coming up as the Doc Washburn Show continues, episode two at docwashburnshow.com and available as a download as soon as the uh, live stream is over at uh, wherever you get your podcasts. More coming up straight ahead on the Doc Washburn Show. You're listening to The Doc Washburn Show, the show that discusses issues other hosts just won't talk about. The Doc Washburn Show streams live at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central weekdays at docwashburn.com and is available for download at Spotify, Apple, or wherever podcasts are available. The Doc Washburn Show is on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com or call us at 866-609-3711. All right, see, there you go. Quick and painless, right? And we're back. All right, so Nora O'Donnell, CBS Evening News. I don't know, is she the anchor? I don't know. I haven't watched 
an evening newscast on CBS, NBC, ABC for many, many, many years. Nor O'Donnell has uh, Janet Yellen in, Biden's press secretary, and she asked this question. You want banks to report transactions of $600 or more. That's what the IRS wants. Does this mean that the government is trying to peek into our pocketbooks? If you want to look at $600 transactions. Well, obviously. Obviously. Now, by the way, uh, Janet Yellen's her history, she was the chairwoman of the Fed before she became Secretary of the Treasury. She was chairwoman of the Fed for like uh, four years under Barack. Before that, she was vice chair of the Fed for a little over three years under Barack. She was a member of the Federal Reserve Board of Governors. She's the president of the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco under George W. and Barack. Uh, she was the chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors for a couple of years under Bill Clinton. So she's she's uh, really elite, as it were. Deep state, as it were. The Fed, as it were. So. Anyway, Nora, Nora O'Donnell is asking her, you know, the IRS wants this. The IRS wants to look at transactions $600 or more. So do the feds just want to look into our, our pocketbooks? Which I'm kind of surprised is a pretty good question from, from a liberal journalist. Janet Yellen, response. Absolutely not. I think this proposal has been seriously mischaracterized. Okay, first of all, she's got a really weird vo- voice. And first of all, also, right off the bat, she's lying through her teeth. Now, remember, remember, Nora O'Donnell's question, really good question, what Rush Limbaugh would call a random act of journalism. You want banks to report transactions of $600 or more. That's what the IRS wants. Does this mean that the government is trying to peek into our pocketbooks? If you want to look at $600 transactions. Of course, that's exactly what it means. There's no other explanation. But Yellen is in the Biden administration, and they all lie for a living. So she says... Absolutely not. I think this proposal has been seriously mischaracterized. Boy, what a weird voice. And it's not just the accent. I I don't know what part of the country you would be from to sound like that. Is she some kind of a cyborg or something? But anyway, okay, okay, Janet Yellen, former chair, chairwoman of the Fed and now Secretary of the Treasury, tell us how this proposal by the IRS has been mischaracterized. Seriously, how do we get this wrong? Um, the proposal involves no reporting of individual transactions of any individual. No reporting. Okay, so if you buy something for $619 over at Costco or Best Buy, the IRS is going to look at that, but they're not going to report it to, uh, you know, in the media. 
<laughs> what a schmageggy. <laughs> what a schlump. What a schlemiel. Come on! No reporting. See, if you're in the deep state, in the swamp, most people in the deep state, in the swamp, never, ever, ever talk to the media. But if you're one of those figureheads who does, one of the most important things you learn is how to answer the question you wanted to have been asked, not the question that has been asked. There's not going to be any reporting of this. Honey, who said anything about reporting? Can I call you, hon? Come on, Puddin. Who said anything about reporting? It's not about reporting. It's about the IRS looking at any and everything you do over $600. But she knows that. Oh, this has been mis mischaracterized because there's not going to be any reporting. Well, if I may mischaracterize John Cleese from the old parrot shop routine of Monty Python, they're reporting down and are into it. Because he was talking about the plumage. Look, the big picture is that we have a tax gap that over the next decade is estimated at $7 trillion, namely a shortfall in the amount that IRS is collecting due to a failure of individuals to report the income that they've earned. Okay. Secretary Yellen, how does your looking at a transaction I may conduct for over $600, which given Biden's rate of inflation will probably soon apply to cheeseburger, how does that have anything to do with people not paying their taxes? Guess what? Would it shock you to know that that's not the next question Nora O'Donnell is going to ask? Because it's not. Because that would be common sense, and she's a liberal reporter, and it was kind of a blessing she asked a good question in the first place, but no, 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 she's not going to go there. She is going to go and follow the lead of this woman who, Janet Yellen, Secretary of Treasury, is defending the idea that the Internal Revenue Service, who we all know has been used by the Obama administration to go after conservatives, wants to look at all transactions, anybody does, over $600. Right? So, so what? Oh, and by the way, if you want to talk about a tax gap, what about the half a million that recently came out that Joe Biden owes in taxes? What about the millions that the, the Reverend Elisepton owes in taxes? I know nobody's going to do anything about that. Why do you need to know that I just bought a sofa? Why do you need to know that somebody in Florida just bought a pair of jet skis? What does it have to do with people not paying their taxes and the IRS getting all huffy? Nora O'Donnell is not going to go there. What she's going to do is follow Janet Yellen's lead and talk about all those evil rich people. But that's among billionaires. Is that among people who are transferring $600?
Oh, see, the billionaires. They're the problem. Yeah. The billionaires who put a lot of people to work. They're the problem. Right? Janet Yellen, again, with her weird accent. No, it tends to be among high-income individuals. Who talks like this? I don't understand. Now, forgive me. If she had a stroke or something, I'll, I'll apologize. I just, I, I don't get it. Whose income is opaque <clears throat> and the IRS doesn't receive information about it. If you. But wait. You're not talking about high income individuals. You're talking about anybody with a transaction of $600 or more. And, and frankly, from what I gather, from what I've read, We're talking about smaller transactions. We're actually talking about anybody who has at least $600 in the bank. You know? That's going to be pretty... That's, that's going to be a lot of people. Anyway, here, here she is. If you earn a paycheck, you get a W-2, the IRS knows about it. But high-income individuals with opaque... Wait! Wait! If you get an income, you got you got a W two. The IRS knows about it. So then, why do they need to look at my bank account if I've got six hundred dollars in there? That's something they're not going to ask her. Instead, it's like, oh yeah, billionaires, billionaires. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. If you earn a paycheck. You get a W-2, the IRS knows about it. But high-income individuals with opaque sources of income that are not reported to the IRS, there's a lot of tax fraud and cheating that's going on. Um, you know, there's a guy named Hunter Biden, and he throws paint against canvases. And it doesn't look like art. And people are paying him hundreds of thousands of dollars per painting. And I bet he's not paying any taxes on it. She doesn't care about that. You know, listening to Yellen is like listening to Fauci talk about how important it is to get vaccinated. And if you ask him, well, what about all these illegals coming across the southern border? Well, they don't count, right? But that's what I'm here for. I'm here to tell you what Nora O'Donnell on CBS should have asked Janet Yellen. Here's more. And all that's involved in this proposal is a few aggregate numbers about bank accounts, the amount that was received in the course of a year, the amount that went out in the course of the year. If somebody reports an income of $10,000 and they had $3 million um, go out of their checking account, that tells the IRS that's, a, that's an individual you might audit. And they do. So why do you need to see everybody's transactions who has $600 in the bank? They do audit people like that. I mean, unless they're named Hunter Biden. But Nora O'Donnell isn't going to ask the question. She's there to do two things. She's there to do two things. She's there 
to pretend to be a journalist, okay, to pretend to ask tough questions to the Secretary of the Treasury. But in the final analysis, to help Janet Yellen get to where she wants to go in the conversation, in the final analysis, to support one more chipping away at our constitutional rights. So this is what happens next. I mean, the White House says that American billionaires pay an average income tax rate of 8.2%. The White House also says we only left 100 100 Americans in Afghanistan. The White House also says Joe Biden actually won the election last November. What a joke. What a joke. See, but to the people who are watching this, to the libs in the blue states, because I don't know any conservatives who watch CBS Evening News or ABC Evening News or NBC Nightly News, but to the people who are watching this, they're like, oh, yeah. The White House says, oh, yeah, well, oh, that's a concern there then. Got to do something about them awful billionaires. Janet Yellen appreciates Nora O'Donnell getting with the program. Yes, it's extremely low. That's lower than teachers, than cops, than a lot of people. It's unfair. And it's... Did you hear the inflection in Nora O'Donnell's voice? Like, yeah, I'm with you, Janet. I don't care. Look at our $600 transactions because billionaires pay lower taxes than a lot of people. Let's see if we can isolate that. Than cops than a lot of people. Do you get that? Class envy. Class envy. Than a lot of people. Yeah, Nora, you tell them. It's unfair, and it's something that we need to remedy. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something. If you get rid of rich people... (laughs) it's not going to make the poor people richer. If you get rid of the entrepreneurs, the people who open businesses and put people to work, you raise the taxes, you turn turn a country into, into Venezuela. What happens when you turn a country into Venezuela? People starve. That's what happens. People starve. You know what? They don't care. They absolutely don't care. Because in their minds, well, yeah, but we'll still be in control. We'll still be in charge, all right? So that's the deal with that. What we try to do, one of the things we try to do here is talk about the things that nobody else is going to talk about. I'll give you an example here. NBC News said yesterday most adults should not take daily aspirin to prevent a heart attack. NBC News is quoting a panel that's saying this. The U.S. Preventive Services Task Force is changing their guidance, saying, hey, most adults should not take daily aspirin to prevent a heart attack. Now, why are they saying this? 
Well, the great James Lindsay, who keeps getting vindicated out there on social media, Ph.D. in math, founder of New Discourses, a guy who's against totalitarianism and supremacy of all kinds for freedom, the great James Lindsay out there on Twitter says, now that we figured out that aspirin is saving the elderly from the vaccine-induced blood clots that are killing the young, we've randomly decided all of a sudden to change the recommendations we've had in place for years. Got it? Follow the money. Follow the money. Speaking of which, the great Daniel Horowitz over at The Blaze, a really good guy that I have interviewed before on talk radio, has an article out today about the great Dr. McCullough, who I hope to interview one of these days, testifying in court testifying in court about the CMS data, the government data, potentially signaling a much higher vaccine death toll. You heard about this? Let's, let's, let's check out a little bit of Daniel Horowitz's article over the blaze, and I'll put it on my, my Facebook page here in a little bit. He says, Maine is a small state. Typically... If just a handful of people die within the 30-day window of regulatory concern following an experimental treatment, it induces a flurry of frantic investigations from the relevant government agencies. Yet after 661 people died, within 28 days of taking the shots in the small state of Maine, nobody seems interested and investigating how many were due to the shot, even though the vaccine is being mandated. Dr. Peter McCullough, perhaps the most high-profile epidemiologist to raise concerns about the side effects of these shots, testified last Friday in a lawsuit brought by the Alliance Against Healthcare Mandates against the state's requirements that all healthcare workers receive one of the COVID shots. During his testimony, Dr. Peter McCullough revealed that 661 people just among the Medicare beneficiaries in Maine had died within 28 days of taking the shot. Now, that's primarily among people 65 and older and doesn't account for any potential vaccine-related deaths among non-Medicare recipients. Now, while this data doesn't prove conclusively how many people died of the vaccine in Maine, since inevitably some died of natural causes, the high number, coupled with the circumstances and types of injuries, is very concerning, according to Dr. McCullough. Here's what he said. In this table... 661 Maine CMS, that stands for Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, recipients have died within 28 days of receiving the vaccine. Now, McCullough is one of the most cited cardiologists in academic literature 
And that's what he said during the Friday hearing before a main judge in this lawsuit. And then Daniel Horowitz helpfully adds a copy of the table from Thomas Renz's law firm, which prepared a PowerPoint presentation, which the Blaze got a hold of based on the billing codes for the CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. According to Dr. McCullough, these deaths and ailments are among patients who did not have any of these serious conditions prior to the onset of the vaccine program who developed or died within 28 days of receiving a COVID vaccine. Now, the data was quarried to rule out anyone who had a record of any of these ailments since January 1, 2020. In other words, they just wanted the folks who got whatever these ailments were after the jab. So, these are not people who were sick with some of the blood disorders listed in the table in the PowerPoint in the article here, which you'll see when I put on my Facebook page. It doesn't mean all of them died of the vaccine, but it sure is suspicious. As Dr. McCullough noted, 28 days within the administration of any investigational drug or product is within a regulatory window of concern and is therefore of interest to regulators. Now, although there's no way to prove definitively absent an investigation that all or most of them were due to the vaccine, Dr. McCullough asserted that it is concerning given that some of the other reported injuries seem to align with some of the known side effects from the vaccine. For example, 216 suffered an embolism, 201 developed a low platelet count. The doctor said these are well-known syndromes that can occur after the vaccine. In fact, there is a disease now called vaccine-induced thrombocytopenic purpura, which is serious. It's related to thrombosis, related to severe anemia, related to organ dysfunction like kidney failure. And this has occurred in 201 individuals in the small state of Maine within the vaccine. This is not something that has any spontaneous occurrence at this level. Now, unlike data with VAERS, the Vaccine Adverse Event Recording System, CMS Medicare data comes directly from billing codes and is not relying upon spotty self-reporting. See, that's the thing about this VAERS system, Vaccine Adverse Event Recording System. It's not mandatory. People, doctors, hospitals, healthcare facilities report if they want to. They don't have to. But the CMS Medicare data comes directly from billing codes. And so that's going to be a lot more reliable. So it makes sense that the data would signal a much greater field of death and injury than the data in the vaccine adverse events recording system. If we were to extrapolate 661 main deaths to the nationwide population, it would net over 155,000 deaths. Obviously, some of those inevitably were natural deaths. On the other hand, this only factors in the above 65 population and 28 days from either shot. So while we can't 
really say how many people likely die from the vaccine. These numbers at least lend some preponderance of evidence to the claim by Steve Kirsch that the death toll is closer to 150,000 than the 16,000 plus currently being reported on the vaccine adverse events recording system. Now I got more, but I got to take a sip of water. (laughs) I got, no, no, I got to take a sip of water. So give me, give me about 30 seconds. Hang, hang on just a second. All righty. You're listening to The Doc Washburn Show, the show that talks about what you actually care about. The Doc Washburn Show streams live at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central weekdays at docwashburn.com and is available for download at Spotify, Apple, or wherever podcasts are available. The Doc Washburn Show is on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com or call us at 866-609-3711. This is wonderful. This is wonderful. We have an IT impresario extraordinaire, Mansur Sempier, helping me out. And he just came in to mention to me, hey, you know, we've gotten to the, you know, the one-hour mark. And I said, you know what? Sometimes sometimes we'll go over because I'm, I'm right in the middle of a dealio. I mean, if I may use that term of present company. Yeah, okay. All right. So let me, let me, let me give you a little bit more of this because, look, I want to give credit where it's due. I am an aggregator of news from all over the place. I'm not a normal person like yourself. I'm doing show prep around the clock. And we're looking at this incredible article here from the great Daniel Horowitz over at Blaze Media. Article entitled, Dr. McCullough testifies in court that CMS data potentially signal much higher vaccine death toll. And so I'm like, okay, could we stop the Doc Washburn show live stream, which will turn into a podcast in a few minutes after we bring it to a close? Could we stop it because it's um, 11 Eastern? Pardon me, not 11 Eastern. (laughs) I'm I'm backwards. I'm dyslexic. Could we stop it because it's 1 p.m. Eastern, it's noon Central, and everybody's getting hungry? Yeah, we could. But we're talking about life and death stuff here. And Mansur and Brian and the crew agree with this. If it's life and death stuff, let's uh, let's keep rolling. You know what I'm saying? So Daniel Harwood says, it's astounding that state and federal bureaucrats have no concern about these death numbers out of the state of Maine. According to the CDC, less than 15,000 people in Maine die per year, which is just a little over 1,200 per month. For 661 of the deaths to have taken place within the 28-day window from one's vaccination throughout the year so far, and thousands of illnesses to be recorded among those with no recent prior record of such ailment should be of grave concern. Shockingly, The director of Maine's CDC, a guy named Dr. Nirav Shah, testified his office only investigated 31 of the 661 deaths, those involving myopericarditis, or inflammation of the heart, most commonly caused by viral infection. The onus should not be on the people to confirm with certainty the exact level of unprecedented risk associated with the shots. The onus should be on the government to rule out an unprecedented level of risk 
before even promoting the shots, much less mandating them, like my former employer did. While we don't have an exact number of how many people died or incurred debilitating injuries over and beyond the unprecedented number already reported to the VAERS Vaccine Adverse Event Recording System, the preponderance of evidence paints a grim picture. Clearly, most senior deaths following the vaccine are never proven, much less reported. Now, as part of Jeff Renz's PowerPoint that he's using in these lawsuits, he quarried data from CMS that nets over 47,000 deaths within 14 days of either the first or second shot. Oh, my goodness. Again, some of these deaths were likely natural, but according to the CDC's definition of case counts, none of them will be counted as vaccinated individuals until after the 14-day cutoff. As such, we're definitely missing a lot of senior vaccine deaths in the Vaccine Adverse Events Recording System. Now, let me tell you, let me, let me tell you what this means real quick. If you get the vaccine... And it kills you in less than 14 days after getting the vaccine. They don't count your death as being the death of a vaccinated individual. They don't say you're fully vaccinated until 14 days out. So you get the vaccine and you get myocarditis or pericarditis or whatever, and it kills you, blood clots in the lungs, and it kills you. Within 14 days, well, too bad, we're going to mark your death down as unvaccinated person. Got it? Okay, back to Daniel Horowitz's article over the blaze. He says, several months ago, the Norwegian Medicines Agency published a study that examined the first 100 nursing home patients to subsequently die after having gotten the Pfizer shots. They found a causal link between the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine and death to be likely in 10 of the 100 cases, possible in 26 cases, and unlikely in 59 cases. The remaining five were deemed unclassifiable. So that's 10% of the first 100 presumed natural deaths in nursing homes likely due to the vaccine, and many more they couldn't rule out. If even a fraction of those deaths were legitimately caused by the vaccine, it would harmonize with the macro data signals we are seeing from the Medicare data, remember CMS, in the United States. Similarly, in July, Peter Schumacher, chief pathologist at the University of Heidelberg, found that toxicology reports indicate that 30 to 40% of a sample of 40 people who died within two weeks of vaccination indeed did die from the vaccine. The Federal Association of German Pathologists has urged more autopsies. It is simply indefensible that our own government here in the United States of America has not attempted to study any of these ubiquitous and unexplained deaths of seniors that we have all seen anecdotally in the CMS data. Now, something is not right. It's time we get to the bottom of it before it's too late. Well, I got a theory. 
I got a theory. And it's this. You know, we talk about the swamp. We talk about the deep state. We talk about the, about the elite. Well, so a lot of these people believe that they're way, way, way too many people on the earth. Okay? They, uh, they believe in the writings of this guy, uh, Thomas Robert Malthus, who lived from 1766 to 1834. He wrote a book in 1798, an essay on the principle of population. And they believe in this, uh, this crisis of the population explosion. They ignore the fact that in the last few decades, agricultural technological developments have made it so much easier to feed all the people on the earth. And they don't want to hear about that. They don't think there should be six or seven or eight billion people on the earth. They think we'd be a lot better off at about 400 million. They are completely committed to population control. Uh, more so. It's like a religious fervor for them, more so than, than a lot of people are to the religion they profess. And so it doesn't bother them. It doesn't bother them if somebody 60, 65 years old, 70, shows up to a hospital with symptoms of the China virus and tests positive. It doesn't bother them to withhold treatment. It doesn't bother them to mark a death as caused by COVID, even if the test didn't really happen, or even if clearly they didn't die from COVID, just with it. It doesn't bother them. <clears throat> Let me put it to you this way. Just in case, just in case you're one of those people who always thought that Biden was some kind of uh, some kind of moderate Democrat, right? Do you have any idea who he has nominated? to be comptroller of the currency. A woman named Saul Omarova, who is a communist, who is a communist. She, uh, Her thesis that she wrote while studying at Moscow State University in Moscow, Russia, her thesis was entitled, titled 
Karl Marx's economic analysis and the theory of revolution in the capital. She wants to get rid of private banks. Have you heard about this? I'll put an article about it on my uh, Facebook page. She wants the Fed, the Federal Reserve, to take over your private bank accounts. Now, what could go wrong, right? So, if Biden, not even Biden, you know, and you and I both know he's not in charge. Whoever the puppet masters are, pulling his strings, want an avowed communist to be the currency comptroller at the Treasury Department. That's uh, currency comptrollers. She's kind of oversees the banks. Who hates the idea of having banks? She wants the Fed in charge of your banking account. Would it shock you that they will lie and tell you the vaccine is safe? Even if they know that some people are going to get serious health complications from it? A couple of months ago, two or three months ago, the CDC director, Biden's CDC director, Rochelle Walensky, said, hey, um, we're seeing now, um, based on the information we're getting out of Israel, that people who got vaccinated early are at increased risk of developing serious health complications. Biden's own CDC director said it. Okay, let me, let me really bring it back home for you. You remember when Bill Clinton was president and he said, well, I think abortion should be safe, legal, but rare. Well, the Democrat Party's thrown out the rare part. The more butchered babies, the better, as far as they're concerned. All nine months, any reason whatsoever, they're trying to get that codified into federal law. They want to get that through Congress and put it on Biden's desk. I mean, you talk about Roe v. Wade being the law of the land. They want it to really be the law of the land. So if people are in favor of that, and people, people are in favor of aborting nine-month-old babies, uh, you think they'd have any qualms about taking your uh, 70-year-old dad, your 65-year-old mom into the hospital and uh, not giving him or her any treatment for the China virus? Just letting it get worse to where they're gasping for air and they put them on a ventilator and letting them die? Why, why would you think they would have a problem with that? They don't. They don't. They have no respect for human life. They have no respect for their fellow man. The first place in, in, in God's word where murder is condemned is back in Genesis. And it talks about if you If you take the life of another person, then your life will be required of you. 
And the idea here, the idea here, is because we're made in the image of God, right? We're made in the image of God. So when you kill somebody, when you kill somebody, you are attacking an image bearer. You know? You're attacking someone who bears the image of God. I, I got I, I know this is crazy. You're not supposed to do this, um, but I've, 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 I've got to find the exact verse. If you take a life, your life will be required of you. I thought it was Genesis three. But I, I got it. Okay, Genesis nine. I'm sorry. Genesis nine. Let, let's let, let's look at this because this is this is. Oh, doc, you can't you can't legislate morality, really? You can't. The law is always based on somebody's morality. Okay. All right. This was after the flood. Okay. After the great flood, which covered the face of the earth. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea, into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as, and as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is its blood. And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed for God made man in his own image so there's your capital punishment right there but why why capital punishment he tells you Genesis 9 6 whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed for God made man in his own image God doesn't put up with people attacking other people because everybody's made in God's image. Got it? Now, this, this idea, this idea of, um, you know, when somebody says about a murderer, no, 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 capital punishment is too good for him. I want him to sit in that jail cell to a ripe old age, and think about who he murdered for the rest of his life. I want life in prison with no possibility of parole. 
That's man's idea of justice. God's idea of justice is like, nope, nope. You shed the blood of man, then a man's going to shed your blood. That's what God says. But we say, oh, no, no, no. He needs to sit in that jail cell until he's 90 years old and think every day about that person that he murdered. Do you realize that life in prison with no possibility of parole didn't even exist until just a few years ago? I looked it up one time. Didn't even exist until the 1950s in the United States of America. It was a foreign concept. You know, our our Constitution forbids cruel and unusual punishment. And when that was passed, they had public hangings. They had firing squads. So clearly they didn't think that was cruel and unusual punishment, right? But you, you couldn't draw and quarter somebody. That was cruel and unusual punishment, right? We're not going to have that kind of stuff. The Eighth Amendment. The Eighth Amendment. says excessive bail shall not be required nor excessive fines imposed nor cruel and unusual punishments inflicted our founders our forefathers they had no concept of life in prison without the possibility of parole frankly i think that's cruel and unusual punishment i don't think capital punishment is because because i'm not going to say god's wrong no god's always right let all men be liars and god be truthful Genesis 9, 6, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. All right, so when, when, when you do a radio talk show, you do uh, three hours or you do four hours or whatever, uh, but you have like a, a six-minute break at the top and bottom of the hour, five-minute break, quarter after, quarter till, and that's how you kind of get through it. When you do something like this, you do an hour, hour and 15 minutes, hour and 20, whatever, and then you have to go exhale. Uh, so I would love to talk to you a whole lot longer today, but I've got to take a break and go exhale. But God willing, God willing, we'll be back on tomorrow at docwashburnshow.com. And then as soon as the live stream is over, the podcast will be available at, uh, at Spotify and Apple and iHeart and all over the place, wherever you get your podcasts. So I really appreciate you guys. And appreciate you spreading the word about the Doc Washburn Show. God bless you, and God willing, we'll speak with you tomorrow. Thanks so much.